Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include my interview with David Lewis, National Renovation Manager for Homespire Mortgage on Renovation Lending, and why rates are treading water. I'd like to thank today's podcast sponsor, Richie May. Richie May is a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services in the mortgage industry and in banking. The firm has also consistently been recognized as one of the fastest growing firms in the country and has been named to the Housing Wire Tech 100 in Mortgage, Accounting Today Firms to Watch, and the fastest growing firms. The firm has also received multiple awards for excellence and firm culture from Inside Public Accounting. To experience how Richie May can help you transform your mortgage business, visit richiemay.com. This week, we received the Employment Situation Report, and per the Census Bureau, 16 million working-age Americans have long COVID, impacting their ability to work. Housing and jobs continue to drive the U.S. economy, and I continue to receive questions about hybrid arms. While you might assume arm volumes would be growing rapidly with higher rates, the inverted yield curve and lack of price discovery for anything approaching a reasonable premium has kept issuance low. Fannie's Trading Desk reports that, quote, while we have seen a modest uptick in application volume, that is not directly translated into pool issuance. Instead, we continue to see many portfolio lenders simply choose to hold the product on the balance sheet, which makes sense given their currently low deposit costs. Some lenders choosing to hold product on balance sheet may be priced through GSE execution, adding to the confusion. Keep in mind, arms work the best with a steep curve and in instances where there are few LLPAs being converted into rate. End quote. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show David Lewis, the National Renovation Manager for Homespire Mortgage, an award-winning national residential mortgage lender. With over 25 years of industry experience in both retail and wholesale, Mr. Lewis has specialized in renovation lending for most of his career and is an established authority and published author on the subject. I don't really know much about renovation lending, but as we kind of move into this new environment in 2022, where borrowers are looking for creative financing options, it's definitely coming to the fore. Can you kind of give the listeners a little background about about it and uh, what, what activity has been like? Yeah, the activity has been good and, and, you know, kind of uh exactly what you're saying it's it just a it's a great way to offer alternatives right in a tough market you know where the turnkey properties are going quickly and for more than ask even still with rates doing what they're doing right um this allows the client to you know purchase and renovate all in one loan okay so those of us that you know those home buyers that don't have as much you know as many uh or a lot of funds after they close, if you will, this is a really good option, right? To look for some of those houses that are older, deferred maintenance, um, you know, not quite right. Don't They don't have, you know, sort of the tick boxes checked of what they're looking for, be it open concept, uh, you know, utility being up to snuff, garages, that kind of thing. So it's sort of a, I don't want to call it a new way because renovation loans have been around for since, you know, the early 70s. But for that first time homebuyer, it's a new way to think about looking at a property, something they can get themselves into and do the repairs their way, all encompassed in one 30-year fixed mortgage. 
So when we think cash out, we think, okay, well, it has a maximum LTV of 80%. When we think of some of these down payment programs, you know, you can put 3% down and still get in a home renovation lending. What are the, what are the caps? What are the, the program features look like? On these renovation loans, there's basically, you know, two large flavors. Okay. They're either going to be FHA based or they're going to be conventionally based, both Fannie and Freddie. Uh, you know, the basic guidelines really track along with most of the product options available on either side of, of the agency fence, if you will. Okay. So, you know, FHA, that's going to be your owner occupied 3.5% down. The only caveat really there is, is it's 3.5% down of what I call the acquisition cost. Okay, so you're going to have a purchase contract at 200000 and a lot of people right then and there make the mistake, it's 3.5% of the purchase price, or the contract price, if you will. Um, but the way it really works is 3.5% of the contract price, plus all predetermined renovation work. So if it's 50000 and all in work, with a contract price of two hundred, your 3.5% is going to be based on the 250. Okay. That's the only real caveat there is there. Uh, same on the conventional side, you know, you can take advantage of some of the home ready, um, you know, type of stuff that's out there. So you can still do that 3% down conventional renovation loan. It's just blended with, uh, in Fannie Mae's case, home style. Okay. So, but more commonly on the on the conventional side, it's five percent down and up, you know, from there. Same guidelines with you know property types, you know, multi-units, all that kind of stuff. Um, they will allow an investor to play along on the Fannie side with a single family only, no multi-units on that, and they do allow second homes. So there could be a really good niche type stuff for you know, that that family's buying by the beach or in the mountains near the lake. And, you know, they're coming across these two, 300-year-old homes that, you know, need some stuff before they can call it family vacation spot. So really kind of cool things you can do with it. But it's really all based on agency loans. Like none of those guidelines really change from, you know, the credit requirements to, you know, the income, you know, all of that stuff remains really the same. Uh, think of it almost as a... Um, a purchase, which is a very large renovation escrow. Okay. And as far as LTVs go, it's, you bring up a good point about cash out, especially when you're looking at one of these products as a refinance transaction. Uh, these are really helpful in that realm because, well, you know, cash out, they stop at certain LTVs, much lower than what the, the house is totally worth as it sits. But with a renovation loan, it's not considered cash out. It's rate and term. Okay. And we can go to the max rate and term LTVs, uh, 97.75 on a FHA and 95 on conventional. But the LTV is based on the after renovated value. A lot of people call that ARV. I myself call it after improved value. So we're actually literally going to take the scope of work, hand that to the appraiser, and they're going to put a value on the property as if it was already done. Not unlike a traditional 
construction to permanent loan would work as far as in that valuation realm. Okay. So the LTVs go quite high and this might be really good on a refinance where somebody maybe purchased a year or two ago that doesn't have any equity, maybe three, five, six, eight percent, depending on where they are. Uh, and it's really the loan is based on that after improved value. So that depending on what they're doing for work, we can then get quite a lot of money out in advance of the home being done. So that's where the power of these really come in that after improved value. Can you talk a little bit about the underwriting of these loans? Because it would seem that it's almost more of a art than a science, but I, I'm thinking that you're actually going to tell me that's not necessarily the case. It really isn't necessarily the case. You know, when I'm teaching people how to do these, quite simply, I, I it, it's like, it's two halves, right? So you got your, let's start with FHA. It really doesn't matter. But you know, you got your credit package, okay? And the underwrite on the credit package is not going to be any different at all. Again, all the same guidelines, whatever you have for minimum credit scores. And, you know, from lender to lender, that may vary. But as far as the agencies go, there's, there's really, you know, if you're working um, in a shop that really doesn't have a lot of overlays, you're just going to track along with HUD guidelines that pertains to FHA and Handbook 4000.1 with, with the credit side. And then the other piece is the property piece. And the property piece is, okay, what are we doing to the property? Who's working on, you know, the home when it's done or, or to be done? And that's a licensed insured contractor. And we go by state rules. Really, there's no governing body at HUD somewhere uh, that dictates who can be a contractor, who can't. We just follow the rules. And it's really up to each lender individually to validate said contractor. And, and really what we're looking for is a legitimate contractor. We don't want Tommy in a truck or, you know, Uncle Pete's roofing company that might be flying by night, not pulling permits, none of that. So it's all above board with the contractor piece. Okay. So once that is prepared, we do use the help of, you know, licensed HUD consultants, depending on the level of renovation. And that usually goes by either structural or not and or dollar amount. Okay, so once we get into that, you know, bigger project, we're using a consultant and license uh, by HUD, and they're really trained to understand, you know, what the property needs to be when it's completed, right? Making sure we're meeting all minimum property standards as they relate to HUD underwriting, okay, and, and on the Fannie side too, okay, but keeping with the theme of just FHA to kind of get through to this question. Um, so the credit side underwrite really is zero difference whatsoever. Now, the property piece underwrite, you know, there can be, like I like the term you use, an art form. You know, it's not quite an art form, but, you know, a good renovation underwriter will, will take some discretion. You got to remember, he or she is not at the property or at we'll never see the property. So we're living largely off the report of not only the HUD consultant, but the final appraisal too. And of course, what's in the bid, right? So the, the client can take the liberty to really do mostly anything they want to the property, provided that we're satisfying any, like I said, those MPRs, minimum property requirements, uh, and or any blatant health and safety issues that would cause, you know, a regular FHA loan to 
maybe not make it to the closing table, i.e. chipped and peeling paints, the big one you hear in the real estate community, uh, you know, mold issues. But as long as those things are being taken care of. So the underwriter will then, based on those three really good reports, be able to reconcile. Okay, the underwriters are going to take liberty to, you know, look at comps on the appraisal, you know, maybe look at at property condition that both the HUD consultant and or the appraiser has overlooked. Okay, but, you know, I've been a part of building um, these platforms with a few different larger lenders. And in my opinion, Robbie, underwriting's never really the challenge. The challenge with these becomes, do we have all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to make the pretty picture on the box? And if you do, the underwrites on these go very quickly and and relatively easily. Can you talk about timing a little bit? And I don't necessarily mean timing the the market, like rates are up, rates are down. I mean, timing in terms of the best time to do this right when I'm buying the house initially? Should I have a certain amount of equity? Should I wait until uh, I, have a, I have kind of a nest egg saved up? What, how, do you, how do you advise people on this? Yeah, no, it, I mean, it's, it's, a great, it's a great question. And, and it's one that it does have many answers, okay? There's a, there's a fair amount of housing stock out there right now that unless you were a cash buyer, you're not getting any other mortgage, okay? And if you do have interest in purchasing that home, it would have to be with a renovation loan because of, again, we mentioned those minimum property standards. Uh, That's why oftentimes you'll see, you know, real estate ads that might say, you know, TLC, bring your ideas, won't go FHA. Well, it will go FHA. It won't go FHA 203B, which is regular FHA loan. It'll go FHA 203K. Okay. So now then um, you, you do have to get back into uh, the finesse zone, okay, which you were calling more of an art form, but to me, it's one and the same. So, you know, you might have a client that says, gee, you know, this house is perfect for me, but, right, I listen for the buts. Now, if it's a deal breaker, meaning they're going to walk away from the house and get back into the market and look and look and look and look and look again, then we have the discussion of, do you realize that that, you know, but can be satisfied very quickly in the form of a renovation loan? So it doesn't have your two car garage for all the ATVs, uh, you know, but for between five and six dollars per thousand, I can give that client what they want. And it's easy, easy numbers for them to understand. So five dollars per thousand, if they want to do a forty thousand dollar kitchen, it's an additional two hundred dollars a month. Okay, so that conversation happens early, early, early. And and if I had my way in a perfect world, that conversation would happen at the pre-approval stage. Meaning, hey, you're already approved for an FHA loan or a conventional loan. It's a 5%, 10% down pre-approval. You know, go go get your, your house, right? So what I like to do is talk to them about renovation lending too. Because again, at its core, it's still that same agency loan that pre-approved for, okay? But if they see something that, you know, elicits uh, any kind of reaction to them to the negative, like, oh, I like the house, but the kitchen's no good. I like the house, but it's going to need a new roof in two years. Or the HVAC system is toast and, 
you know, that the home is in Florida. You know, you can't take risks with certain things in certain parts of the country and you shouldn't take risks on housing condition for your family for the long term. Right. And many of those people don't have the assets after they close to just say, oh, yeah, I'll fix the roof whenever I can. I might always say, well, where are you going to get the $14,000? Is it just going to happen magically? Because I'm looking at, you know, your income current day, your assets, you know, how you've been able to amass and save money. And by my calculations, post-closing, you're not going to have a lot of money and you're going to have a brand new mortgage payment that includes tax insurance and main cases of mortgage insurance. So, you know, is it a pipe dream for you to come up with $15,000 for a roof in the next 24 months? Maybe. Only you can answer that. So why don't we talking about put that into the loan right now? Okay, so that conversation really does differ quite a bit on, you know, what the property actually is and what they're going for, you know, what the competition is on the property. Uh, Sellers clearly in this market don't want to wait for for anything, right? They still want 20-day closings. And, you know, that's not feasible with a renovation loan. but on the seller's advantage side, they don't have to do any work to the house. They're not going to get crushed on a home inspection as much. You know, uh, the borrower, the buyer takes all responsibility for any of the property shortcomings. And we can still close because the work gets done post-closing. So it could be a huge advantage to a seller that has a less than perfect property. And finally, what, what, how does one go shopping for one of these loans? Uh, you know, it's people think like, oh, I would love to get a, a renovation loan, but where do they even, where do they even start? You know, it's a great question. You know, when I'm, when I'm having a conversation with a borrower or, or a real estate agent, I do a lot of training on this subject uh, for agents anywhere. And, you know, I, and I try to get them to, and the buyer also to try to see what others don't see. I mean, for the most part, in my opinion, the home buying public today right now, as it was 10 years ago, as it will be in 10 years, are, are similar, right? For the most part, everybody wants turnkey. They want open concept. They want white cabinet, stainless steel, some sort of rock type of countertop, mostly granite, uh, quartz is popular, things like that. Right. And those houses, if they're priced well, they're going to elicit those higher bids bidding over, you know, your your neighborhood agent's going to post on social that they went 40, 50 grand over ask on a house like that, because we're all going to be interested in that turnkey. So, again, I try to teach to look what others aren't looking at. You know, is there a house like that that's in that neighborhood that's obviously not to that level of of condition? All right. Um, well, if there is, we know really where the equity position will be. OK, we know that I can give you exactly what's in the neighbor's house as far as, you know, materials and, and styles and textures and stuff like that. Um, you know, through their contractor bid, they can make it look just like that. And if the numbers are right, meaning they're able to buy it, a little bit cheaper based on its current condition and still have enough room to put that money in for said upgrades. Okay. That that's a conversation that I have a lot. Now, how do you actually do that? Well, I mean, 
you know, there's a lot of different search criteria that our agent partners use and stuff. But I always tell them to look at, you know, TLC listings, you know, handyman specials, cash only, you know, clearly a lot of the bank owned stuff, you know, that hasn't been as prevalent over the past couple of years as far as, you know, the HUD homes and, you know, the fanny stuff and some of the private banks. But you do still see, um, you know, bank owned properties for sale. And typically, especially the HUD homes, they'll always need something. Okay, so I I have them go to those agency sites, uh, HUD home store, things of that nature. I have their real estate agent, you know, look for those keywords like a TLC, handyman special, cash only, attention investors. Because fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, Every real estate agent, I don't care what part of the country that you're in, or I should say most, I don't want to say every, they won't really understand or or uh, they have a hard time writing an ad for a distressed property. They always put won't go FHA because the FHA that they know of, it won't, okay? FHA 203B, have to have a lot of minimum property standards, right? Uh Maybe it's cash only because it's in such a disrepair. All right. So those, if you start doing searches on anything, Zillow, Redfin, one of your favorite local area uh, real estate agent shops, uh, they all have their website that all tie into MLS. So you can find those listings. Um, And that's what I tell people to do if they're really dead straight on wanting to do this right out of the gate. But I think what happens with this type of lending the most, especially lately, is people don't necessarily know they want or need a renovation loan until the home inspection happens or they're starting to see stuff in the marketplace that is available, that has deferred maintenance, that, hey, you know what, maybe they're willing to go and take a look at it and maybe even want to buy it, but they're not really sure how they would fix the place up, even post-closing with their own money in, in many cases. So, you know, they seek the information out and, and and they come to it, you know, especially again with the, with a bad home inspection. So strategy that I use and I teach is, you know, teach that client about a renovation loan right up front. So they can sort of look at that marketplace from two sets of lenses. Hey, if you get a turnkey house and you do a regular FHA loan, a regular conventional, Fannie, Freddie, whatever it is, that's going to be 99.9% of the business nowadays anyway. Okay. But it's not going to hurt you if you understand the renovation financing. So as you're looking at it and it doesn't have that half bath or the finished basement that you have to have, and you're sick of burning gas, looking at properties, you know, five bucks a gallon, looking at 50 properties on a weekend only to come up empty handed. Now we can maybe take a step back and assess what you really want and make it for you with a renovation loan. Excellent point. David, I really enjoyed this interview. I think it was highly informative and uh, I want to thank you for your time. That was great. Totally welcome. Unemployment is low and families have savings. Do those point to a recession? Economists are still haggling over whether the Fed appeared dovish or hawkish during last Wednesday's meeting. The central bank raised the federal funds rate by three-quarters of a percentage point for the second month in a row to a range of 225 to 2.5%. 
But Fed Chair Powell's vision of an end to the current rate hiking cycle excited investors and triggered an equity rally during the session. According to the Fed, rates are now right in the range of neutral, i.e. an interest rate that neither hinders nor fuels economic growth. Will Powell express further doubt that the U.S. was in a recession given the low unemployment rate and solid job gains? Per Chair Powell, quote, These rate hikes have been large and they have come quickly, and it's likely that their full effect has not been felt by the economy. So there's probably some additional significant tightening in the pipeline. As the stance of monetary policy tightens further, it will likely become appropriate to slow the pace of increases while we assess how our accumulative policy adjustments are affecting the economy and inflation. We do see there are two-sided risks. There would be the risk of doing too much or imposing more a downturn on the economy than was necessary, but the risk of doing too little and leaving the economy with this entrenched inflation, it only raises the cost of dealing with it later to the extent that people start to see it as part of their economic lives on a sustained basis. I don't think that's happened yet, but when that starts to happen, it just gets that much harder and the pain will be that much greater. Restoring price stability is just something we have to do. There isn't an option to fail. End quote. Last week, he was clearer than usual about telegraphing what lay ahead at coming gatherings, though this time around, things were less specific. To continue some of his press conference, he said, well, another unusually large increase could be appropriate at our next meeting, that is a decision that will depend on the data we get between now and then. It's time to just go to a meeting-by-meeting basis and to not provide the kind of clear guidance that we had provided. End quote. That could make things more opaque going into the second half of 2022, though it's not as extreme as the European Central Bank, which last week scrapped forward guidance of any kind. Speaking of last week, the busy economic calendar started with another monthly decline in new home sales. Sales declined 8.1% in May to a 590,000 annualized pace, which was the slowest pace since April of 2020. Higher interest rates have reduced affordability, while some would-be buyers have canceled contracts over concerns of buying at the peak of a market that is starting to see price reductions. The slowdown has led to a rebound in new home inventory not seen since 2010 and 9.3 months worth. Meanwhile, the slowing economy has caused mortgage rates to reverse course as inflation expectations begin to shift due to Federal Reserve policy and declining output. Despite two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, strength in the labor market and resilient consumer demand have prevented the National Bureau of Economic Research from formally classifying the current environment as recessionary. While segments of the economy are slowing from recent highs, the economy as a whole is not collapsing. Inflation remains well above the Fed's target, and the labor market is still imbalanced in their view. This week brings the July employment report on Friday, where the current consensus is 250,000 new jobs and the unemployment rate holding steady at 3.6%. Currently scheduled Fed speak is on the lighter side, though the RBA and BOE are both expected to hike rates on Thursday. Today's calendar brings July manufacturing PMI readings from S&P Global and ISM, both due out later this morning, as is June construction spending. The desk will purchase up to $839 million of UMBS 4% through 5%, and we begin the week with agency MBS prices unchanged from Friday and the tenure yielding 2.65 after closing last week at 2.64%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. I recently spent $6,500 on this registered black Angus bull. I put him out with the herd, but he just ate grass and wouldn't even look at a cow. I was beginning to think I'd paid a lot more for that bull than he was worth. So anyway, I had the vet come and take a look at him. The vet said the bull was very healthy, but possibly just a little young. So gave me some pills to feed him once per day. And the bull started to service the cows within two days. 
all my cows. He even broke through the fence and bred with all my neighbor's cows. He's like a machine. I don't know what was in the pills the vet gave him, but they kind of taste like peppermint. (laughs) Thanks again to Richie May, a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services in the mortgage industry and banking. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.